Hi everyone and welcome to the Parma podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Really great to have you all here again. Uh, and um, today on the show, it, there's a new guest, uh, someone I've been getting to know over the last few months. We've been doing this a course on Spiral Dynamics together uh, and built up a friendship that way. And um, she has written a great book on deconstruction um, called Borderline Brainwashed. Um, Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, it's great to have you, to have you here and to talk about this book and hear your story. Um, Sarah is known as Sarah the Human. That's her pen name. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, and this book is actually available online on Amazon and everywhere else. Um, but we're going to talk about we're going to kind of hear your story today. So. Um, yeah. Tell us a bit of your story. Of course. So I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I was born into a religion called Fundamentalist Christianity. And with that, um, I was that is a religion that takes the literal version of the Bible to be absolute truth. And so I was handed a list of rights and wrongs, yeses and nos, uh, blacks, blacks and whites, basically. And that was kind of the worldview that shaped me growing up. And, um, you know, as I, as I grew up, any decision I would make, I would usually consult the Bible. And so if the Bible said one thing, I would try to follow it. And if it said, to, to not do this, I would, you know, make sure I didn't do that. And so um, as I uh, was growing up in Arkansas, most everyone around me believed the same exact things that I did. And so my beliefs were never challenged and never put to the test. And then when I moved to LA five years ago, um, all of a sudden I was put in an environment where everything I ever knew to be true was put to the test. <laughs> so I couldn't find many people at all who believed what I was taught to believe. I didn't know any anyone really who believed the Bible um, to be absolute truth, the literal version of the Bible to be absolute truth. Um, even the Christians in LA were more progressive and held the words of the Bible with an open hand, you know, a little bit looser and, um, took, took the Bible kind of at what it is, you know, it's a collection of, of, uh, parables and poems and history that was written over 2000 years ago by different humans. And so, um, that was new to me. I had never experienced Christians who didn't see the Bible how I did. And, um, that just got me thinking. And then, not just Christians, but I realized I had never really hung out with non-Christians. Um, and they weren't really my my core group of friends before. I had only formulated friends with just Christians within my circle who believed what I believed. And so when I moved to LA, I started to formulate friendships with people who were not Christians. And I realized that their presence in my life was very confronting for me because I thought that someone had, in order for someone to experience true joy and true peace, I thought that 
they had to live according to the Bible and they had to pray this prayer to accept Jesus into their heart. And that's how you experience true peace. But I was hanging out with people who were not Christians and I was kind of studying their life in a way. And I was thinking they seem more at peace than I do. (laughs) They seem more free than me. Um, And so in the book, I talk about how in a way I was trying to share the gospel of Jesus with them, but they actually shared the gospel with me, which was that um, just the, the freedom to be their true selves really inspired me to be my true self as well. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Uh, it's amazing how that happens, isn't it? When you kind of remove yourself from an atmosphere which is completely kind of almost closed off like a bubble, like Arkansas, uh, and um, and then you go to LA, which is, and there's all these different voices. Suddenly, it kind of acts as a a mirror back and reflection back on onto you, uh, and kind of opened opened you up spiritually. Definitely, yeah, it did. And then you know, going back to seeing the world in a black and white right or wrong way, I realized that there's so much beauty in starting to view the world as a lot of different options, a lot of different solutions, you know, ways to live life. It's very gray. And um, I just realized there's a lot more beauty in that because when I viewed it as right or wrong, anytime I did something quote unquote wrong, I felt terrible about myself and it created this pattern of a very low view of myself. I had extremely low self-esteem, not, you know, very high confidence at all. And I always walked around feeling like I was not pleasing God and I was not, I was disappointing God. I was not measuring up. And, and so I think letting go of that right or wrong mentality really allowed me to realize that I am enough as I am. Yeah. And that's it, isn't it? That's what that's what the divine really says to us is that we're enough as we are. Mm-hmm. That we belong, that we are loved, that we are accepted as we are, however we are. Um yeah, because you know, kind of, if you grow, if you grow up in kind of traditional Christianity or or, or evangelical Christianity, it's it, it's kind of your your fundamental identity is bad, right? Yeah. You're a sinner, right? You're a, you're inherently a bad person. You cannot you cannot be trusted. Your desires cannot be trusted. Um, you cannot be trusted to take responsibility for your own life. Um, you are not okay as you are. Um, and you have to believe the right thing to be able to be accepted um, uh, and live the right way to be accepted. It's all conditional. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, when you look at it that way, it's like, well, that's not really what a God, that's not really a God I want to follow. (laughs) (laughs) That can't be the God that Jesus talked about when he was living and preaching um 2000 years ago because that's all conditional um and <laughs> you know like our parents good parents anyway good parents don't love you conditionally mm. they just love you 
Right. Um, and so you want to people use the metaphor of God as a as a, as a parent. If if God is a good parent, then God loves us unconditionally, which means loving us as we are. Totally. <laughs> and you know what's cool about that is, um, you know, once the once I kind of let go of the idea that every word in the Bible was absolute truth, um, it was hard for me to read the Bible because it was almost like it was my source of comfort and security. And then all of a sudden I couldn't trust it anymore. I couldn't trust it to be the, you know, ultimate guidance on my life. You know, I had to trust the divine inside of me. I had to, you know, learn to trust myself. And that was a muscle that I had not exercised before because I was taught that I was bad and that I can't trust myself. Um, So, but what's cool about this is, you know, I think modern day Christianity teaches, yes, that we're inherently sinful or inherently bad, but I read the Bible the other day and I was reading the creation story and I read about how, uh, you know, God created, you know, he created the plants, trees. Um, I mean, this is a poem, but it's like in the poem, God created the plants, trees, fish, animals, man, w- woman. And he said that it was good, that it all was good. And I just had, it was such a beautiful experience for me because I was like, Wow, even in this poem of of creation, God is saying humanity is good. <laughs> it, it, it human the divine is saying humanity is good. And it was just so much more powerful for me to read that, you know, looking back, you know, reading for reading it for what it is, you know, a poem, but like being able to pull that message and have it like really speak to my soul that I am good, just as a bunny rabbit is good, a horse is good, a fish in the sea is so good. Like, I am the same way. I am so good, just as I am. Yeah, that's right. That's, yeah, I had the same discovery um, a few years ago of that verse. And it's like, yeah, actually, the first word that God in the, in the Bible that God says about human beings is that they are good as they are. Right, which kind of destroys any idea of a God that that doesn't say that, Um, unless you start the Bible at Genesis 3, right? (laughs) Right, Um, right? so it's, uh, which the Bible doesn't start at Genesis 3. Um, So, um, like, yeah, it's like how you start something changes everything, right? (laughs) True, Um, and it does. It does make sense to me now, this concept of like when an infant is born and, you know, this infant baby in modern day 2021 is born and it's just undeniably good and inherently valuable, just beautiful, precious, everything. But then, you know, let's say this baby is growing up under abusive parents under, you know, stress, you know, feeling unsafe all the time, you know, kind of experiences a lot of trauma from an early age and eventually, you know, starts to 
behave in a way that is not of their trueness. And, you know, because they're behaving in a way that's responding to the trauma that they experienced. And so um, it even Genesis 3 is more profound for me now because I kind of view, like my interpretation of it now is that, you know, all humans are good always, all the time. And, you know, we are prone to kind of be shaped by environment, be shaped by, you know, things around us and allow those things to define us. But the, the true message that, you know, I want to, I want to subscribe to is that all of us can, when we sink down to our, our souls, you know, when we sit with the depths of ourself, we can access that goodness again. Like we all have that supernatural peace and joy goodness that's just in us constantly. And at any moment, at any time, we can tap into that and access that again. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Uh, Yeah, it just changes everything, doesn't it, really? Um, Yeah, people have got it so wrong. Um, And it's ironic that you have to kind of step away from you know, from kind of toxic religion um, and, you know, deconstruct um, to see that. Um, because if you're you know, bringing bring up, being brought up in the church and then you don't see that and then you kind of step away and, you know, um, from, from the church you grew up in and you move to a different place uh, suddenly the whole perspective changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's so hard to see when we're, we're in it, you know, we're, when we're in the thick of it. And um, at least for me, it, it was, I mean, I, I wasn't, um, I, I, that's where I get the title borderline brainwash. I, that's how I felt. You know, that was, that was a title that came to me because, when I w- kind of stepped away from it and looked back on my experience, that's that was the most accurate way I could describe how I felt was I felt borderline brainwashed, you know, like maybe I wasn't in this like really intense Scientology cult, but I was in something that was kind of similar because it was <laughs> these narratives that you know, steered the course of my life, of all my decisions I made. You know, I made some really, really big decisions based on the narratives that I was taught growing up. Like, for instance, you know, I saved myself, I saved my virginity before I got married. And so I I was a virgin when I got married. I got married young. I got married at 22. Um, and you know, that's, we basically got married. Who Who's to say, who knows what would have happened if we weren't Christians at the time, but you know, we probably would not have gotten married at 22. Like we were basically getting married so that we could have sex. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm making these really big decisions 
under this like fog almost this fog of religion of like this is the right thing to do the right thing is save my virginity for my husband get married young you know and I think that was another piece of my religion coming down was um I I was taught this was the right thing to do you know don't have sex before marriage and then I realized after doing that that it was harmful for me because it took me so many years in the context of marriage for me to get in touch with my sexuality. It was so hard for me to, um, you know, flip the switch between this is wrong, this is bad, and to like, okay, now it's good, now it's totally fine. You know, I still felt so many feelings of shame and guilt within the context of marriage in and so that was like, wait a second, maybe this whole belief is not something that's beneficial to believe. Like maybe, um, you know, purity culture is not beneficial and maybe it's actually harmful. And so, you know, I had to kind of come to terms with this is what I was taught, but my experience is telling me another thing. And I have to decide, am I going to hang on to this thing I was taught or am I going to listen to my experience, which is, you know, which is the, the realest information we can have. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. When lived experience kind of disproves uh, a theory or a belief, you have to listen to your lived experience. Um, you can't deny somebody's lived experience and their story. Uh, you know, that's it you know i mean and somebody's story is their story and you can't deny it and yeah i know i'm sure you're not alone in, in your experience of that of purity culture you know i mean the whole thing about purity culture was people getting married um, when they're young right and uh i mean that's a it always became like a joke so in some circles like yeah if you're in purity culture people get married when they're 22 <laughs> um, and they get married to have sex, you know, like, and uh, yeah, because I, I began deconstructing like like years ago, um, and so, um, and I'm in the UK, so we don't quite have like purity culture in the same way, although we still have some of that toxic theology. Um, but it was, but yeah, and it was just this kind of like running joke. Um, but it's probably, but it's true, you know, some people do get married to have sex. Uh, <laughs> did get married to have sex and, and then kind of like you had exactly your experience when they're in the context of that relationship and it's allowed suddenly there's a whole lot of mental gymnastics to do because psychologically you can't just jump from it's bad and evil and wrong to it's great and good and great and, and enjoyable and I want to have it you know it's it's like a um I remember I did some embodiment coaching with somebody. Um, well, I had an embodiment coach, and we were talking about. I was trying to do some unlearning of purity culture and toxic theology around sex and stuff. And I was, and I actually couldn't. Eat. I, I was one of the things I, I was going to do was talk about my desires to kind of express them in a healthy way. Uh, uh, and I remember opening my mouth to say it, and I literally felt a message felt like a, a bit of energy from my prefrontal cortex sent down to my mouth to stop the words coming out. Mm. Like, cause I'd been so, so like indoctrinated into not talking about this stuff. 
mm. and that it was bad or shameful or mm. wrong or mm. like scary or whatever that mm. I couldn't my body wouldn't wasn't wasn't gonna let me talk about it I mean since then I've done a lot of therapy and and got free of that and been able to talk about it but it is a cycle it does psychological damage this kind of theology and you have to unlearn that when you come out of it you have to have therapy you have to get coaching you have to you know you have to you know do a lot of work to to get free yeah definitely definitely it really it does it take a lot of work and and you know i'm definitely still working through some some stuff you know i think healing for me at least is is ongoing and there's so many areas that i feel fully healed and fully you know i've overcome this area but you know there's there's other areas that is still work in progress <laughs> like i am still you know you know having to work through it and having difficult conversations and you realizing oh wow this is this is a response from my trauma like this is not a healthy response you know <laughs> being able to identify those and and kind of work on it is probably going to be a lifelong process I can imagine but yeah. you know just kind of knowing that it's you know healing doesn't happen in a straight line it's you know up and down and there are times when I even feel like I'm regressing and you know realizing okay no all of it is at this point like all of this process whether it's really intense grief or loss, feeling of loss, or, you know, whether it's high highs, you know, at this point, being able to be self-aware of what I'm experiencing is all part of the healing process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it is a lifelong process. It is. Uh, yeah, the work keeps going. exciting because I think it's similar to the growth process I mean um yeah you know I was just thinking about how I would have never thought that I would be talking to you about this you know uh just 10 years ago I would have never thought I would be saying that you know I would be encouraging people to have sex before marriage. Like I would have never thought that, but then here I am. And, um, and so now what's so cool is in 10 years from now, I'm going to look back on my current self and there's going to be some things that I would think, Oh, I would never do that now. And so, um, you know, it's kind of growth can be kind of, humiliating and embarrassing at, at sometimes because it's almost hard to like look back on my old self and kind of cringe a little bit but then it's also really beautiful for those same reasons because you know our humanness is so resilient it's so powerful that we can we can change and evolve i mean we're not stuck in the being the same person um, you know, that we were 10 years ago. Like we, if there is something that we are trying to work on and better about ourselves, you know, we're not stuck. We can, we can grow. We can evolve. 
Absolutely, we can. Uh, that's, that's it. And uh, that you're right about the embarrassing stuff. Like, I even look about look back at myself like three, four, five years ago, and I think, "Wow, gosh." Yeah, even yesterday, I'm like, uh. <laughs> did, I, "Did I believe that? Um, you know, did, did I say that? You know, I do some blogs and stuff that like I wrote ten years ago. I'm kind of trying to update my website, and I, I saw some of them. I was like, "Oh my goodness, me! <laughs> like this is still live." Like, yeah. <laughs> so like, no, I'm taking that down. <laughs> yes. Well, like, you know what? Uh, me anymore. Um, <laughs> my my husband, he kind of pointed me in like a really good direction because I was doing that. I was reading old diaries um, and old journals that I had written, um, you know, years ago, and I was, I was going through them and I would pick out the negative, the most negative thing I wrote, you know, so I would read it to my husband, Bo, and I would say like, Bo, oh my goodness, listen to this. Can you believe I said this? This is so unhealthy. I would, I would say that. And he just said, Hey, um, what do you think about picking out the good, the good parts of your journal entries from, 10 years ago, you know, when you're reading, why not choose the beautiful moments that you wrote in your journal? And, you know, he kind of switched that exercise for me and and kind of made me realize maybe this isn't a healthy exercise for me to kind of put down my old self and, and kind of almost shame my old self. And, you know, maybe I can learn to grow by loving my old self more. Like, I think that I've gotten to this point where for most of my life, I didn't like myself or love myself very well. And now I'm in a point where I'm loving myself more and more every day. And I'm, I'm learning to love myself in such a healthy way. But what's I found hard is to love my old self (laughs) and to love my past self, which is still myself. And so, you know, realizing that there's not a distinction between who I was yesterday and who I am now, it's all me. And so it's so important for me to extend grace and compassion and love to myself, you know, at all stages. Absolutely. That is, that's very wise. That's really wise. Um, Yeah, because, yeah, because we're all on a journey. And so we are where we are at different points in that journey. And it's all necessary for the journey of growth and transformation and and healing and freedom um all those things it's just it's 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 work and you know we keep unlearning and keep learning and making mistakes along the way <laughs> um but that's it that's the, that's the journey you know um yeah and i think something you said before that there's no there's no formula. It's not like a five-step program, you know, that like when you get to a destination, it's just, it's just a journey that you keep on going on. And that, you know, um, there is no destination other than your own growth and your own transformation. And um, that makes it more exciting. You know, it's uh, certainly that that's been my experience that it's when I don't have a destination, when I just keep doing the work and keep growing, and learning and unlearning, it's much more 
liberating and you can be much more curious and mm. open to, to new things. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um so how what what was kind of the biggest moment for you in this journey of kind of where you kind of crossed over from where you were to moving into this new like this new journey Mm -hmm. yeah the biggest moment for me was um in the summer of 2020 i discovered rob bell i had heard about rob bell before um i heard that he wrote a book called love wins and it was a book um kind of questioning the existence of hell and so i i steered clear of that book back then because I thought it was blasphemous and wrong. And, you know, I, I didn't want to go anywhere near that book. Um, but then in the summer of 2020, I remembered it and I was, I was in a space where I was finally open to other ideas. Um, I think that obviously I'd heard about other ideas of the afterlife growing up. You know, I heard about Oh, purgatory or reincarnation, but it was from this lens of actually um, apologetics, which is defending your faith. So I learned about reincarnation from the standpoint of reincarnation is wrong. Here's how you defend someone, defend Christianity, um, and you know talk about how hell and heaven are the right ways. And so I, I had never if, you know, being honest myself, I had never actually considered that heaven and hell, you know, might not be real, you know, literal places. Like I hadn't considered that possibility before until 2020. Um, And so it's funny because as soon as I just allowed myself to be open to different theories of what happens after death, it's like it almost it just completely didn't make sense to me anymore. Like the idea I you know I believed that um you know if someone believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord and and prays the prayer of like accepting that they're a sinner and you know that he saved them from their sins like that happenstance I believed switched their afterlife fate from going to hell to now they're going to heaven. And if someone didn't do that, then they would be going to hell. And which hell to me was like a fiery furnace where Satan lived and they would be tortured by Satan for the rest of their lives. And, and it's, and looking on that belief now, I, my mind just struggles to even comprehend like how I believed that for so long, I think, <laughs> but I just, it doesn't click for me anymore. You know, it, it just instantly didn't click. It just didn't make sense to me that, you know, humanity, so many of humanity would just be tortured forever for the rest of their life, for eternal life. Um, and I just, you know, once that kind of came undone, I was thinking, well, I saw my existence as trying to save people from hell. I was trying to evangelize, trying to tell them the gospel so that they wouldn't go to hell. But then I realized 
if I don't believe that there's a hell anymore, how could I ever evangelize to people and try to save them from this place that I don't even believe in anymore? <laughs> and so that point, I really didn't know who I was. And I was like, oh my gosh, my whole identity is gone because my identity was, I'm this person that's going to heaven and trying to save people and get them to go to heaven too with me. And then I didn't even believe in hell. And so (laughs) I just, it just all kind of came crashing down to be honest. And um, it was scary. I mean, it was so, so scary. It was so hard to deal with um, because it you know, I, I describe it as like um, a brick wall. And along the way, you know, before 2020, I had been taking out uh, one brick here, one brick there, and with little things I was unlearning about the Bible. And then, uh, you know, when hell, when I started questioning hell, the whole thing just collapsed and I was just left with a pile of bricks and I did not know what to do because what the other thing was, you know, most of my friends were people who believed in the literal version of hell. And so I couldn't, and, and so I had a hard time because I felt like I didn't have anyone I could talk to about it because almost everyone I wanted to talk to about it was still fully believing in it. And so I felt it was, it was isolating. It really was. Hmm. Yeah, I can understand that. That's it's not an easy thing to, to suddenly come to terms with that so quickly. Um, and for, you know, for it to kind of come crashing down so quickly and that like, it's, yeah, it's, it's not easy. There is, it is a grieving process. This this journey. It is, um, the actual deconstruction part of it, because I believe deconstruction is only one small part of the journey, really. But that especially is a grieving experience. And like it's it's uh, because you're unlearning everything that you've held on to for so long and you're letting go of it. And it's been such a core part of your identity that, that to lose it is to lose a part of yourself or to lose a version of yourself. And uh, there's a grieving in that. And mm-hmm. um, which is again why I keep saying we need to learn to grieve well. Um, mm. You know, I mean, it's funny actually that you mentioned Rob Bell and, and stuff because the, the, the people who know my story know that reading uh, Velvet Elvis had that effect on me. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, and I had the same experience of like, oh wow, none of this, 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 what I've believed in isn't enough anymore. Mm. Um, which had actually started a few years before that when my mother died. But yeah, it's it's really incredible really how that happens, isn't it? That you know, one minute you you think you're okay and then you <laughs> have this one experience or you read a book or you encounter something and it's like, oh no, everything I everything I thought is unraveling really quickly right in front of me. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, looking back on it, as scary as it was, it is hands down, I think the best thing that's ever happened to me, because I really was stripped of my identity, everything I had kind of attached myself to, like, I am a Christian, I am 
you know, a Jesus follower. I am, you know, all these things that I attached my identity to were just gone in an instant. And so it forced me to kind of have this death and then resurrection. You know, it had, it was like saying, you know, like a a washing away almost, a washing away of, you know, this old identity and rebuilding and stepping into new life. And it really is so beautiful for me to, and so freeing for me and hopeful to not believe in hell anymore (laughs) because that was a life um, that created a lot of fear in me. I remember crying because I was, you know, sobbing to God, praying for my cousins because they were, you know, not Christians and I didn't think that they were going to, to heaven. And I was so distraught and I was afraid for myself too. I remember praying the prayer over and over just in case. And, you know, I debated on getting baptized twice just in case that would help me go to heaven. And, you know, it was this constant living in fear. And so when that came undone, it resulted in such freedom and hope because I no longer had to live in fear of hell for other people or for myself. I could just choose to believe that whatever happens after death is something beautiful for everyone. And that belief in itself just gives me such, you know, such a beautiful life, just being able to, um, expect goodness after death and expect joy after death for for everyone and you know it it is so calming and and comforting to to switch that to something good mm. yeah that is beautiful it really is i mean i and i resonate with that you know when you finally let go when you finally have that moment where you're able to acknowledge that it is so liberating and it was such freedom on the other side, you know, mm-hmm. and you can just finally breathe out. And yeah, that that's that's incredible. Um so kind of as we close, like what what's the most what's the most significant thing that you've that you've learned that you would want to pass on, like the one thing that you want others on this journey to know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I spent so many years trying to change people and trying to get them to, you know, convert to Christianity or live life how I lived life. And um, I think something that has, and I thought that that was loving to people um, because I thought that what I wanted for them was best for them. And so, it was in a weird way loving them. And what I've learned works better is <laughs> more loving is actually loving is accepting people where they are and, and really just letting them, accepting them for who they are and acknowledging that we are all in different journeys. We are all at completely different, you know, timelines. We have different experiences and, um, you know, I want to extend this just compassion and grace and love to 
every single human, no matter where they are, whether they're, you know, not a Christian, a Christian, whether they're from Arkansas or from London, you know, just just acknowledging that we are we're all human and it it is so beneficial to just accept people, you know, for where they are and and loving them for where they are. Yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. Um, thank you, Sarah. Um, it's, thank you for coming on and sharing your story. It's it's, uh, it's really wonderful. And uh, borderline brainwashed is available on where books are sold. Um, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, and where can people connect with you online? They can follow me on Instagram. It's Sarah the Human with three N's or SarahTheHuman.com. Fantastic. Great. Do check that out, everyone. And um, yeah, thanks again for coming on, Sarah. Thank you for having me.